As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. It is Thursday. I think almost every team in the country is opening camp tomorrow, but some news on Thursday. The preseason coaches poll is here. Bruce, anything stand out to you right away? Overrated, underrated, perfectly rated? There's a few. All right. So first of all, what stood out to me, it's been a long time. Alabama number two, not number one. Look, I don't disagree with it, but I just think just seeing Alabama number two is one that kind of gets your attention. And the other thing, and this isn't a surprise, but it has been about almost 20 years since USC, when it's been eligible for the poll, hasn't made the top 25 preseason coaches poll. You have to go back to 2001 to find it an eligible USC to that did not make it until this Clay Helton team. I also saw that Florida State is unranked for the first time since 2008 and only the second time since the early 80s. Credit to Paul Meyerberg of USA Today for that one. We've had this discussion before. We're going to have it again about Michigan. They are number seven in the preseason coaches poll. And I already have a reputation as a Michigan hater, unfortunately. So now when we have this discussion, they just just more fodder for the Michigan fans, but I'm I'm just baffled. I, I you, you ever seen the movie The Big Short? No. Okay. I have not. Then the the example I was going to use is not going to work. But basically, I'm just how do we keep how does this keep happening? How much more thoroughly did they have to be destroyed by Ohio State? How much worse does his record, Jim Harbaugh's record, have to be against top ten teams, which is one in nine, for the Vegas and the pollsters? to just keep putting them up there, like, oh, this is the year. Last year, the last however many years weren't the year, but this is going to be the year that Michigan contends. Because if you're number seven in the country, it means that they think you can contend for the national title. Well, look, Vegas also, especially in the in this time of year, can throw out some candy for Notre Dame or Michigan or big fan base schools that get enticed. I'm going to disagree with you on Michigan. I am buying Michigan this year, and I'll explain why. First of all, I think Michigan will have one of the best offensive lines in the country, arguably the best offensive line in that conference. I like what they have back. I think Ed Warner does a really good job with the offensive line. 
count me in as a put me in on the bandwagon of believing in Josh Gaddis, a new offensive coordinator. I know he has not done it before, but Joe Moorhead, who's as, as smart as a football coach as there is, especially when it comes to offense, has spent a lot of time with Josh Gaddis. He is a big believer in him. Everybody's ever worked with Josh Gaddis is a big believer in him. And I think what he brings is pivotal to them, which is a jolt of confidence on the offensive side. I mean, I did a big story on The Athletic about Gaddis about a month ago, and one of the things he said that was crucial into what transformed Penn State in James Franklin's third year was the hire of Joe Moorhead. And Joe Moorhead was able to not just bring in the plays and the offense that he ran at Fordham and had so much success, but it was really the attitude. And that's one thing when you talk to people inside the Michigan program, they've noticed a big difference in. And I think that is very significant. You know, looking at them, they did lose four really good players on defense. And they looked really shaky at the end of last year. One thing I would say is the final results of those scores against Florida and and Ohio State were ugly. But those games, it wasn't like they were blown out of the building from the first quarter on. They got away from them at the end, no doubt. But, you know, look, it wasn't like Ohio State was that much better than Michigan the last few years. A couple of years ago, it was a questionable call, right, that, that changed it. I don't think the gap between them is that big. And when you talk to coaches in the conference who face both, they don't think it's that big either. Did we watch the same Ohio State-Michigan game from last year? Just saying, the last year, Stu, but two years ago, what was it? You know, it came down to a questionable call, right? That was three years ago. and, and Three years ago. I'm, I'm not, I think you're right. I don't think they're that far apart in terms of talent. I would question the characterization of last year's game. As I recall, Ohio State jumped up big early. Michigan looked like they might get back into it. And then early third quarter, that was, that was over from there. And let me ask you something. I knew you were going to bring up Josh Gaddis, and I'm yep. excited for Josh Gaddis, too. Side note, quick side note, Joe Moorhead is, already has like a bit of a coaching tree going on because Gaddis, obviously his influence is still there at Penn State, and then um, Joe Brady at Joe, LSU. And, and Sean Gleason, the new OC at, uh, at Oklahoma State, hasn't worked for him, but I talked to him in the spring, and when he was at Princeton, the Princeton staff and the Fordham staff were very close, and he'll tell you that some of his offense came from him, so... Now, Mississippi State couldn't score last year, so I'm, not, I'm a little confused about that part of it, but his influence is clearly rubbing off. So you think that Don Brown, who has reloaded many, many times, and really, you know, up until the last two games of last year, I would have just assumed they'll reload again. You're not concerned at all about not just losing a few guys, but, you know, they were the, those, Winovich in particular, those were the heart and soul of Devin Bush. Those were the heart and soul of no, Devin defense. Bush, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, I, that is a concern. But I mean, other, you know, other teams lose really good players too. You're looking at some of the other schools that are in the top ten who lost big time players. I mean, that's part of that's part of the deal. I think you know, Michigan's not going to fall off the face of the earth. I think the baseline is that they. Where win. do you think Michigan should be ranked? Which teams? Um, let me ask you this way: Which teams do you think should who are ranked below? Number seven, Michigan, do you think should be ranked much higher than them? Would you put Texas above them? Would you put Texas A&M, which has a, the most brutal schedule of anybody in the country? Would you put Washington, which has to replace a four-year starter quarterback and the best running back they've ever had and their leading tackler in most of their secondary? 
would you put Penn State, which has no Trace McSorley there and lost a bunch of offensive linemen? I mean, would you put Auburn? We don't know. I mean, I don't know. Are you buying in on UCF with now down to their third string quarterback? Actually, you just mentioned two of the teams. So I had a column that, that went up uh, shortly after this on the teams that I thought were too, ranked too high or too low. And you mentioned two of the ones that I think are the most overrated, which are Texas A&M and UCF. And Texas A&M, I actually think, is heading in the right direction under Jimbo Fisher. That schedule is just insane. They're playing four of the top six teams in that poll, and Auburn, who's ranked uh, six. three of them, by the way, are on the road. That's that's even more daunting. And they're not. And it's not like A&M isn't without question marks. It's, he's still building that program. And then UCF, that's a sign of respect that they're ranked 17th, obviously. They are coming off back-to-back undefeated regular seasons. But the quarterback situation is really troubling. Uh, they, they, we talked about this before. You know, basically, they brought in Brandon Wimbush as an insurance policy, but now he's probably going to have to be the guy. And it just, you know, there's a reason that Ian Book eventually passed him at Notre Dame. He just, he's got some limitations in terms of his consistency. So I do not see UCF finishing this season as a, as a top 20, possibly even top 25 team. In terms of the teams I had a mission, in my post-spring, I had Notre Dame ahead of them, I had Texas ahead of them, I had uh, Penn State slightly ahead of them, and I had Florida. So I had Michigan 11. Okay. So it's not really that dramatic of a drop. I mean, it is, it is, it is a little bit of a drop, but it's not, not like you had them 17th or 18th. Right. No, I, I, if, they were, if they'd come in, in this thing at number 10, I don't think I'd be so mystified. Just... When you have a number seven in front of you, that's really, so the really... Teams, so I'm sorry, the teams you have, you said you have Florida above them, you have Texas above them, and who else? Penn State? Yes. So you have Penn State in the top eight? I'm very high. I'm very... Look, I also am, you know, as we've talked about, a little um, worried about Ohio State, too, and all, the, all that they're putting on Justin Fields and obviously the transition. So Penn State's kind of my surprise team for this year, just in general. I have them, let's see, in the... And this is three months ago. I haven't sat down to do a new ranking. Ohio State 8th. I had Ohio State 8th, Penn State 9th, Florida 10, Michigan 11. Notre Dame. That's a good example of what, what has happened since the end of last season for us to think that Michigan is now the number 7 team and Notre Dame is, where are they? 9. It's not that, a big difference. Yeah, that Michigan has now vaulted back ahead of Notre Dame. I mean, look, Notre Dame got blown out at the end of last year, too. Notre Dame, by the way, lost some really good players on their defense. I mean, you're talking about losing Chase Winovich and Devin Bush. I mean, Notre Dame lost some terrific players at the core of their defense. Here's a question so I not- just thought of. Okay. Who would you have more confidence in if this person was your team's quarterback? Ian Book or Shea Patterson? I would probably have more confidence in Ian Book, but you that's not you only get you know, there's a lot of other pieces that go to it. I would have more confidence right now in what Michigan has returning on the offensive line. And so I would say, you know, you can't have one without the other necessarily. But I do have more confidence in Ian Book. But I don't think it's like, you're not asking me here, Trevor Lawrence versus Shea Patterson. You know, I don't think there's a huge gulf between the two of them. But I like Ian Book. I count me in as a, as a, as a believer in him. Anybody else that you think was either ranked way too high or way too low? Not way too high, but, you know, that you would disagree with. Wisconsin at number 17, I'm not as high on them there. I'm certainly not as high on UCF. I don't think they're a top 25 team for some of the reasons you said. 
I do not think Washington State losing Gardner Minshew, losing some of the players they have, I don't think they're going to be a top 25 team. But I didn't think they were going to do what they did last year either. So take that as a caveat. I'm higher on Syracuse than than the coaches are at number 22. The others receiving votes category, it's not without notice for me. Here's a couple of things that jumped out at me. First of all, and it's it's the third line of uh, second line of agate. I'm not seeing West Virginia got 24 points. I don't know who these people are who I know their coaches obviously are their SIDs, but they had to give up. They had to be on a bunch of top 25 battles to get in there. They have hardly anything coming back. If you told me this was last year's team, I'd be like, okay, but a lot of most of those guys are gone and Neil Brown has a rebuilding job. So that surprised me to see West Virginia have that much respect from some of the voters there. I didn't expect that. I was surprised that Minnesota only got one point. They finished the year pretty strong. I mean, to see some of these other teams in there with more points than them, I think it looks like there's about 25 teams that were ranked you know, above them or had more ratings points higher than that. So that's that definitely surprised me to see that. Duke and NC State, those are two teams. They both had double digits points. I don't see them having anywhere near the kind of seasons that the coaches obviously think. So those are the ones that jumped out to me, but certainly nothing in the top 10. I'd actually would have had Texas a little higher than they do in there, but, but that's about it. And I certainly would have had Texas A&M lower just because that schedule is so brutal. I think if they can get to eight and four in the regular season, that's a heck of a job by Jimbo Fisher and that staff. Couple, uh, by the way, in regards to your West Virginia point, I do think that some of these things, not a lot of, some of the people filling out these ballots probably don't do a whole lot of research. Maybe they just kind of cut and paste from the end of last year's. That being said, there's two group of five teams that were very good last year. And at least one of them, I think, will be even better this year. 36th and 38th overall. And that would be Fresno State, which all they've done is win 22 games the past two seasons under Jeff Tedford. And Cincinnati, that's the most baffling one to me. Cincinnati won 11 games last year, finished 23rd in the final coaches poll. They bring back their quarterback, their star running back, seven starters on defense, and somehow they've slipped from 23rd to 38th. Just no faith in Luke Fickle, apparently. I think some of that has to do with, in UCF's case, they've had a couple of years to get established. So they're default, to some degree, defaulted up in the top 20. And I think in the, the case you're making is, Look, Cincinnati had one really good year last year. I don't quite get the Fresno State thing necessarily, like what you're saying. They're actually ranked behind Utah State, which has at least a high-profile star in, in quarterback Jordan Love. So maybe that's part of it. I mean, look, Boise State was 27th in there and a couple of spots ahead of Army, which I guess would have been like 30th. So it's, it's interesting to see how they treat the group of group of five and – and some of these, you know, maybe some of these coaches are like, well, we have them on their schedule. We're going to boost them up. We don't have them on their schedule. We don't, you know, it's like we played them, but we don't play them anymore. They kind of drift off. I, I don't know. It is interesting to see just how some of these brands get treated. I mentioned what I, I thought Wisconsin was one of the schools that is much higher than I would thought. Jonathan Taylor, as great as he is, notwithstanding. What do you think about Wisconsin? I think Wisconsin will rebound. I thought about whether to say that that was rating them too high, but, you know, I just, and I know it's a little bit of just blind faith in the Badgers and Jonathan Taylor, but 
I, I think they'll be back to being a top 15, top 20 type team. So I didn't necessarily question that ranking, but they are showing them quite a bit of respect relative to uh, how badly last season went. Yeah, and keep in mind, here's something I, I factored in. Look, I probably spend a lot more time around the Big Ten than you do these days because of because of my Fox responsibilities. But the Big Ten West has gotten quite a bit better, and I'm not saying Wisconsin is falling apart, but if you look at Wisconsin's schedule, it's not easy. I mean, the non-conference, they go to UCF, who's pretty good on the road. That's a start. Then they have Michigan crossover. Right after that, Northwestern, they have to go. To, they have Michigan State, and they got to go to Ohio State. That's the three games that you're getting from the other side. Those are three top 20 teams, and two of them are top 10 teams. So not easy. To me, I, I look at that, and I think they're going to have a tough time getting back to double-digit wins. I mean, the, the Big Ten West fascinates me. Uh, I don't know if everybody's going to go seven and five or if there will be separation but as i've said in here and before everybody but illinois capable of winning that division and several of those teams probably capable of being 10 and 2 kind of teams so we shall see how that works out should we transition to the mailbag yeah let's do it uh, actually before we do that Stu, we did talk a little bit about ucf ucf made a little bit of twitter news in regards to this is the time of year in the summer where teams announce games that will be played 10 years from now. And there was a scheduling matchup that caught your eye, and I know you caught caught some blowback when you tweeted with a little bit of snark to it. Can you fill us in? So UCF, which is, it's interesting that we've talked about this before. They've become a lightning rod. They're not America's Cinderella story. Some people love them. Some people really hate them. And I really think that that's due to their AD, Danny White, who first rub people the wrong way by declaring themselves national champions in 2017. But also, he is really trying to, he is digging very deep into this, we demand to be treated like a Power 5 team. So there was, in the subject of upgrading their schedule, there were emails that came out between him and Scott Strickland, uh, the AD at Florida, that indicated that Scott Strickland would be fully open to doing a two-for-one series with UCF. That would be two games in Gainesville, one game in Orlando. Unclear whether that game in Orlando would be at UCF Stadium or at the Citrus Bowl. But he doesn't want anything to do with that. He thinks they, they deserve to get home and homes with these teams. Well, that's, that's just not going to happen. That's not Florida, whoever it is, Alabama. And so their rival, USF, just to stir it up even more, has been doing exactly that. They've scheduled two-for-ones with Alabama and Miami, and Danny White's very mad about that. So this week, just your routine scheduling announcement, UCF has scheduled a home-and-home home somewhere down the road with FIU. And it's just stupefying to me. He's basically putting this one-man cause ahead of what I think, at least, would be the best thing for their program, which is to play programs like Florida, ideally beat them, and build your brand and build your prestige and, and hopefully do what TCU and Utah did and get invited up to the Power Five. But he's digging in and... Uh, Sticking to the we won't we we demand home and homes, and that's where we are. And of course, UCF Nation is is backing their AD. Look, that's what fans do. I think to some degree, when you get whether it was Boise State almost a decade ago, where you come up on the radar, and it's not seen as like the cute upstart story. I think a lot of fans, you know, are so invested in their own teams, feel like they don't want any any interlopers in there. And like you said, 
I think it added to it because Danny White. Look, I think Danny White's done a done a pretty good job of raising that profile. I get it. I get why he's doing it. It's in the it's spirit of self interest, and I think some of that is really campaigning for things that I think sometimes you have to put on the black hat to to stir it up for your school's best interest. And I think, look, that to some degree, that may have helped them get ranked in the preseason top twenty right now. Keep them in the news. They've transformed their school, like, exactly the way some of those others have done. Like, there's no question. They've been to, remember, they also, somehow this has been forgotten in the history books. They went to the Fiesta Bowl and crushed Big 12 champion Baylor in 2013. So they've actually been to three uh, New Year's Six Bowls in six years. That's really good. But that doesn't mean they've arrived, right? And I know it's unfair that name the program that's been grandfathered in to the Power Five conferences, Indiana. Indiana gets all the prestige of being in the Big Ten without actually really contributing much to it on the field. And UCF's obviously been a much better program. But if you want to get that golden ticket, you just, you got to keep doing it. And playing a home-and-home against FIU does nothing for that cause. So, Which group of fives in your mind have quote-unquote arrived? Well, you've arrived, for the most part, you've arrived when you get that, that call up to the big leagues. I, I do think Boise State would be a notable exception to that. They've arrived a long time ago and just haven't been able to, to move up. Uh, for many reasons, but you know UCF, right. no question, uh, is a better program than they once were. But you know they're also only a couple years removed from a winless season. Uh, it remains to be seen if this is going to keep if Josh Heupel is going to be able to keep this up. You know we, he's only been at it for one year, so I think there's still some uncertainty out there. But like I said, you know I just think as I, as I said on Twitter, and UCF fans didn't like the analogy, but if you're a, and remember this is for five years from now. So if you're a UCF player in 20, well, who's going to play in five years from now, okay? And that UCF player grows up and has kids, and those kids have kids, and he's telling his grandkids stories about his time being a college football player. You think he'd, he, what would be a more appealing story? The time you went to the swamp and played in front of 90,000 people, or the time you played a home-and-home home with FIU? I, it's, you know, think about it that way. He's denying his own players some potentially amazing experiences. For what reason? To make this cause that... Frankly, I don't think is going to affect much, if any, change. I um, think we should get Danny White on the podcast as a guest. Yes. He should be on the audible. To defend himself. All right, guys. Uh, well, I didn't, say, I didn't say that, but just have him on. <laughs> well, he can come on and, and, and tell me all the reasons I'm wrong. All right, let's get... Get the mailbag, too, fast. Yep, let's do a lightning round mailbag. And I always love the ones where you don't know the questions beforehand. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Um, this first one comes from Jeremy Spiegel in Maryland. Stu and Bruce, maybe I'm biased, but it seems like no head coaching hire has divided people as drastically between local and national media as Mike Loxley has. Locally, it seems like every writer, reporter, and most importantly, high school coach has raved about him and talked about how important it was to make this hire at this time. Nationally, all I've seen is coverage about his failed New Mexico stint and mocking the Terps for choosing him over Matt Canada. Side note. I think he must have missed Nicole Auerbach's article on The Athletic about Mike Loxley this week. It was definitely not yeah. mocking him I in any way. I, I would disagree with what Jeremy's saying, too. Um, Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated a few weeks back did a very thoughtful piece about Mike Loxley. Certainly, I know the most prominent ESPN talking head, Scott Van Pelt. Now, obviously, he's biased. He went to Maryland, and he's but he championed this hire. And I will say this, because I feel like I've said this before, in the past, you know, this off season quite a bit. Mike Loxley, I think, 
learned much the same way that Ed Ogeron learned from a spectacular fail in his first time as a head coach. And I think that will benefit him greatly. And I think he's much different than the guy who jumped into a mess in New Mexico and it only got worse. And I think he was a good hire, especially the timing there because of it was such an emotional, messy situation there with the passing, tragic passing of Jordan McNair, with the scandal as it related there but under DJ Durkin and the strength coach. And it was just a really ugly situation. And I think Mike Loxley fit in there very well. I mean, we did the opener of the of season last year where Maryland upset Texas. And you could see how emotional the players were. And I think it was... It was a really challenging situation. I'm not sure who would have who would have walked in there and seemed like a better hire than than what they got in Loxley. But this is, by the way, a really tough job. You're in as tough a division as there is in college football. One of their games right out of the gate, I think they have Syracuse just coming off a double digit win season. It's not easy. You know, I like the hire, but I'm not saying that they're gonna be a top twenty five team just because you know, Loxley's a good recruiter. His reputation is, is a great recruiter and reputation in that area. But by the way, in that DMV area, lots of schools are going in there and getting commitments from really talented, touted players. And that's going to be a hard battle to, to, to keep a lot of those schools out of there and keep, keep most of that talent at home. Yeah, I think, like you've said, coaches can grow and do things differently. I do think it helps when there's some time in between. You know, I think it was always a little puzzling to me how... Uh, Ron Zook got a job immediately after being fired at Florida. And Tyrone Willingham, right, immediately after getting fired at Notre Dame, gets picked up by Washington. Probably not a lot of chance for reflection in there. But when there's a, some time in between, when he's had the chance to now go and learn from people like Nick Saban, you know, uh, give the guy a chance, I would say. And I do agree that given everything that would happen there, they really, it, it would not have been an ideal to hire somebody with no ties to that program in that area to try to unite the fan base after what happened last year. From Philip in Valdosta, Georgia. I saw that Wake Forest and UNC are playing each other as non-conference game this fall. I know there's been some mockery of this, but in the era of huge conferences, I think it's a reasonable way for teams to see historical rivals that they don't face off with much. I'd personally support my Georgia Bulldogs doing this if our annual rivalry with Auburn went away due to a reconfigured SEC schedule. Do you think this is a one-time thing Wake and UNC are doing, or will more teams from the same conference schedule each other in a non-conference setting? I can't it's see it happening. Confu- yeah, yeah, it's very confusing. I, I get it, and I think so, in some sense, it, I would rather have that. You know, like I think there's teams in the ACC. Miami has played less than than Wisconsin, who's become a, a relatively common bowl opponent for them. I think it's good when you have these bigger conferences that they are still finding ways to play them better them than to go play Western Carolina or some other one double A. I just don't know how often you're going to see it anymore. I think it's one thing if it's Wake and UNC. The idea that that Auburn or Georgia would do that with anybody in the SEC, I don't think they're going to add a, 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 that ambitious a non-conference game against somebody from their own conference. But I would like, personally, I'd love to see it. You know, those teams should be playing each other. Some of these schools that only get to play each other once every seven years now should be playing each other. I would prefer it be happen because their conference wisens up and goes to nine games. If that's not going to happen, then this might be the next best thing. Peter Fumo in Horsham, Pennsylvania. Dear Bruce and Stu, I'm thinking about blue blood programs that reside in talent-poor, mediocre states such as Notre Dame, Michigan, Tennessee, and especially Nebraska. 
How were they able to win championships in the past? Will they ever be able to dominate again as defined by winning a national championship? And in the case of Nebraska, was it a mistake to leave the Big 12 where they had a natural recruiting territory? Uh, every one of those programs is probably a little bit a little bit different situation, I think we would agree. Yeah. I mean, Notre Dame certainly has, has recruited nationally. I think you've seen, look, Nebraska had some pipelines into places, certainly into New Jersey, you know, Irving Fryer, Mike Rozier, some other guys like that. I think the, Nebraska had a unique model in terms of how they develop players. The walk-on program was incredibly robust. I think Scott Frost is trying to do some of those same things. It is harder to do that when the recruiting landscape around you changes. And to some degree, I would include like a Tennessee in this when to me, it's different now for Jeremy Pruitt than it was under Phil Fulmer, you know, 15 years ago, because one of the areas that has changed is Clemson is such a recruiting machine now, and they're not that far away. And so when you're competing with Clemson, whose brand now is way elevated beyond where Tennessee is, certainly, that just makes it that much harder. And I think, getting back to the Nebraska point, I think Nebraska has at least been fortunate that it was not, you know, the, the divisions that are set up. At least it's in the more manageable division of the Big Ten. But there was a lot of political reasons that went into why Nebraska moved out of there. And I'm not sure that going into Texas, you know, even if they were playing in the state of Texas, you know, several times a year, I'm not sure that that makes it that much easier for them to recruit there. I think like that's all completely valid with Tennessee. I agree with all that. I think with Notre Dame, you know, the last time when you, a lot of Notre Dame's glory, frankly, came 40, 50 years ago when the whole sport was much different. Michigan, I, I, I think I don't want to get too complicated here, but, you know, just this isn't necessarily specific to Michigan, but just in terms of why the SEC has risen to prominence, maybe at the expense of some of the northern teams, population shift. A lot of people have moved out of Michigan and a lot of people have moved into Atlanta over the last 20, 25 years. So there are factors beyond just football that impact some of these things. But in some of them, you know, you and I have had the Tennessee discussion a million times. I think with the right coach, they could win national championships there. They have all the pieces in place. Uh, Notre Dame has made the playoff. They had an undefeated season in 2012. They're not, it's not like they're, they've been, you know, relegated to complete obscurity. So, you know, the one that's interesting to me is Michigan. You know, we'll see if Harbaugh can get it done. If he can't, if it ends up that he's not the guy that can get them to win a Big Ten championship and get to at least the Rose Bowl, then who can? You know, I don't think it's that everybody wants, oh, he's such an overrated coach. Well, the last several coaches had this same problem, so uh, he's doing better than them. So is it more intrinsic to just times have changed and it's a lot harder for Michigan to compete nationally? So it's, it's a complicated question. I do not know. Brian Powers, Bruce and Stu. Who do you think is more likely to be an NFL head coach three years from now? Lincoln Riley, Jim Harbaugh, or Matt Rule? I'm going to say Matt Rule. I agree. He's a very respected guy. Yeah, now look, Jim Harbaugh's also, you know, had success as a head coach in the NFL, so it's not like he hasn't been there. Lincoln Riley's never been anywhere near the NFL. I think he, you know, he has a young family. He knows that he's got the best AD probably he could work for. I mean, short of being the key, given the keys to Dallas Cowboys, I don't, and that, you know, that could happen. I just don't know if if he's going to jump at it right now. I think he knows this is a really good situation. Let's make a run out for the next, you know, four or five years and see where it takes us. Matt Rule has been has met with teams in the last couple of years. I know he's on a lot of people's radar. Spent a little bit of time as an assistant there. I, it's also, 
again, this isn't a, a you know intended as a shot at Baylor, but he's at a different place than those other guys in terms of the profile. Baylor's a good job, and he's done a really good job there in a short time. But if you told me Baylor's not a top fifteen job nationally, whereas those other two guys have those jobs. Do you think with Lincoln? I'm not in Lincoln Riley's head. How much do you think if he does end up hesitating or maybe not going at all? He, he worked for a guy in, in Bob Stoops who had plenty of chances if he had wanted to to go to the NFL over the years and turn them down. And then Bob Stoops worked for a guy in Steve Spurrier who tried that, failed spectacularly, realized he had a good thing going in college. How much might that impact it? I don't think that impacts it really that much. You know, they're, they're very different personalities, especially, you know, Spurrier to Lincoln Riley, I think. A lot can change. Bob Stoops, you know, walked away in his mid-50s. Lincoln's, a, you know, almost a generation away from that. I mean, if you told me, will Lincoln Riley, you know, not be a college coach, for, not be an NFL coach within the next 10 years, I'd probably say I think he will be a head coach in, in the NFL within 10 years or before he's 55. But I just don't think at this point, just because he's not been a head coach for very long, I think it's my gut is saying he's going to ride this out a little more and just see what he can do with it rather than just bounce. Cause if he goes to the NFL, you know, he may not, if he wants to come back to college where he gets to work with players and develop players a lot more than he would in the NFL, there's certainly no guarantee that he's going to end up with a situation like he has where he gets to work for a boss like that, where he's at a tradition rich program. And he really inherited, you know, a, a pretty good situation from Bob Stoops. You leave, there's no, there's not a guarantee that you're going to get anything close to that. The only risk there, maybe on the flip side, is his stock may never be higher than it is right now, coming off two straight playoff seasons, producing two back-to-back Heisman winners, and most importantly of all, the air raid is the obsession of the NFL right now. That's why Cliff Kingsbury has a head coaching job after getting fired at Texas Tech. So... While it's easy for us to sit here and say, oh, you know, stay for another five years, keep winning, A, that might not happen. B, will this moment in time, how unique is this? Will this still be all, the system of offense he runs, will it still be all the rage in the NFL in 2024? You know, I have no idea. All right, real quick, we got to go, but there's breaking news right as we were about to end the podcast. Yeah, quick shout out. Bud Foster plans to retire at the following the 2019 season. One of the best defense coordinators college football has ever seen. Really a blueprint guy there. Helped create the identity along with Frank Beamer's commitment to special teams. Hats off to him on an uh, amazing career in Blacksburg. Really, it really has been amazing. And, you know, the fact that he stayed after Frank Beamer retired and helped with this transition to Justin Fuente was very unusual. And, you know, I'm, it's, I'm glad that it's coming out now and that he's announcing it now so that they can celebrate him throughout this season rather than because by the way there's a lot of questions about how good or not good Virginia Tech might be this year it would be a shame if they had a bad year and he was it seemed like he was being run off so doing it this way he can be properly honored by uh, Virginia Tech fans this coming season sorry we had to cut this one a little bit short Uh, I'm actually in New York for a family function so I have to get running but we'll do a full length regular episode next week we'll see you next time If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to The Audible on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review while you're at it. It helps get the word out. 
Thanks to Trader Joe's for being our presenting sponsor. Our producer is Nick Fink. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. You can download their music on iTunes and Spotify. Follow me, Stu, at SL Mandel on Twitter and Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB. And subscribe to The Athletic if you haven't done so already. You can try it for free, seven-day free trial at theathletic.com slash free trial. So come on, get over here. Ah, yeah. Oh, oh. We'll talk about it for years. Ah, yeah. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.